Amen. Let's take our Bibles. Romans chapter 7. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Romans chapter 7, starting at verse number 1 today. And we're going to read uh, out loud um, collectively. Uh, I'll read and you'll read along with me uh, verses 1 through 6. And then we will cover the rest of the chapter in the message this morning. Um, I would love to just leave us a little bit of time at the end of this service to, uh, for you to have an opportunity to respond to God's word if the Lord so leads. Amen. So good to see you today. Welcome to church. By the way, if you're here for the very first time or second time or third, we're glad you're here. Um, fill out the, the Olive Knoll's response card, the cards you got when you came in. We'd love to drop you a note and send you a gift card to, uh, for a cup of coffee if you would do that. So Romans chapter 7, starting at verse number 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, it's like an illustration here. By a law... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. By the way, the other side of that is true as well. Amen. Men are bound to their wives. Amen. So let's, I just want to be, I just want to be equal here. You know, um, Paul is just trying to make an illustration here. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another to him who has raised, was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once was bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve a new way of the Spirit not in the old way of the written code. Father, would you speak to us today from Romans chapter 7? Would you open our hearts to the struggle that all of us face? And we're grateful, Lord, that you are going to give us an answer to that great struggle. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in Romans chapter 7 today, and I'll just remind you that um, we are in this series called In Romans. If you're with us for the first time or you're just coming back, we're, we're walking through the book of Romans verse by verse. We started in Romans chapter 1, and we have been, um, we've been on a journey. This is the 11th message in the Romans series. We've probably got 11 more messages to go, okay? Uh, so today we're in Romans chapter 7. We're going to cover the entire chapter in this message. And uh, next week we will begin chapter 8. We're going to be three weeks in chapter 8 together. It's a significant chapter and we'll j break that up into three messages. And, um, and so we will we'll be all the way through um, the first week of August together in Romans chapter 8. Um, but 
Here's, here's our theme verse for the entire book of Romans. I'll remind you of this. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It is the power of God. And as I said to you in the very first message on Romans, I really believe with all my heart, and it's been proven down through history, that the book of Romans, if you read it, if you study it, you understand it, it will radically change your life. It will, it will deepen your faith. It will deepen your understanding of your, of your walk with God and how God works and how God has, what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he's going to do in the future. It is a powerful, powerful book. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And then he says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this righteousness that God has revealed to us is his son, Jesus Christ. He has made it possible by what he has done for us to be made right. And then from Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6, Paul talks about the bad news and the good news. And here we find ourselves in chapter 7 where Paul begins to talk about the struggle of a believer, the struggle of being a Christian. Has anybody ever had a struggle being a Christian? Have you ever felt like you are, you know, here you are, you're new in Christ, yet you're still, you're still dealing with some of the same old temptations and struggles that you used to have before you came to Christ? That's the struggle that we have as Christians. That's the struggle that every single one of us face at some point in our life. We say things like this, um, why do I struggle with the same? Why don't I love God more? Why don't I want to serve him more? Why don't I want to act more like this new life in Jesus Christ? What's going on inside of me? What's happening inside of me? And, um, and so Paul talks about this struggle in Romans chapter 7. In chapter 6, he talked about you're dead, in, you're, you're dead to sin. You're alive in Jesus Christ. You're no longer a slave to darkness and a slave to sin, but you're a slave to righteousness. And then here in chapter 7, Paul begins to, begins to introduce this whole idea of, of the struggle that happens in those of us who've been justified in Jesus Christ. We have Christ in us, yet there's still something else going on inside of us that God needs to deal with. And he begins to point that out to us. There's, a, there's an old book, um, um, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is a classic book. How many of you have read this book? Raise your hand. Look at that. It's, you, know what, you know what classic books are? Classic books are books that nobody ever reads. That's what a classic book is. Okay. There's a lot of classics that are out there. People say, oh, this is a classic, you know. This is supposedly a classic that most people have not read. Could I just tell you, it's worth your time to read it. And in this book, you know, it's the story of Dr. Ch Dr. Dr. Jekyll. And uh, he is an outstanding citizen. But he's frustrated because he, see he sees inside of himself the bad parts and the good parts. He sees good and evil happening in his life. And he says, this is incongruence. It doesn't seem to make sense that I could be this person and this person. I could be a good person and a bad person. 
And so, so Dr. Jekyll decides that instead of these two good, good pieces and bad pieces always just kind of being mixed up, he is a chemist and he develops this portion that separates these two portions of his life. He separates it into the good portion and the bad portion. And the good portion comes out in the daytime and the bad portion only comes out at the nighttime. But what he doesn't doesn't expect before he develops this portion was that the, 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 the bad part of him is more wicked than he ever thought. It is worse than he ever imagined. That when it was all put together and allowed to just kind of come out in all of its wickedness, he says, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am worse than, than I was when it was just sort of mixed together and I had a good, a little good, and a little bad that was going on. And Stevenson, speaking through Dr. Jekyll, explains, he says, I discovered through this process that a man is not truly one, but two. I discovered through this process that a man is not truly one, but he is two. I was a hypocrite. Both sides of me were completely sincere and completely messed up. The explanation seems to resonate with so many people who have read this book. And I think that it would resonate with the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 7. Because in Romans chapter 7, Paul, in the portion that we didn't read yet, describes this kind of battle, this kind of dueling that goes on between, between right and wrong, between good and evil, between, between this new life in Christ, this newfound faith, and this new, new work in God, and this old nature that is still a part of him, still kind of plagues him in his lifetime. And, um, and so as we look at this together, I want us to discover a few things. First of all, the struggle is real. Jekyll and Hyde, you have a Jekyll and Hyde nature. Every single one of you has a Jekyll and Hyde nature. You have a nature that, that is bent on pleasing yourself, and you have a desire to please God all at the same time. And the problem we find in chapter 7 is that you can't fix it. You cannot fix it. There's nothing you can do to fix it. And Paul makes that very clear for us. Because first of all, he says, the battle is, is something we can't win in verses 7 through 13. So in chapter 7, verse number 7, he asks the question, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. In other words, Paul says we're people of the law. We know that the law is something where, and the law he's talking about here is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. I think most of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments. He said this law is certainly something that, that, he, that, that is working, but is this, is this law something that is sin? Is the law itself sin? And he says, certainly not, it is not sin. And he says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Now this theme of the law has been all the way throughout the book of Romans. Paul has gone back to the law over and over and over and over again. He has made it clear to us that the law does not save you. The law is not something you are capable of keeping. God gave his law, and his law did not bring life. His law brought death. Even though 
there was the promise to those who received the law the first time. The promise was, if you keep all the commandments, your life will be blessed. But if you break any of them, you'll be cursed. Well, guess what happened to all of them? If you broke one, you broke them all, and they discovered they could not keep the, the law. The law actually brought death. So, so one of the questions was, is the law sin itself? Is the law sin itself? Is the law something that makes us sin against God? And Paul says to us here, right from the very beginning, the law's first purpose is to reveal how sinful we are. Remember, in Jack, back in chapter 5, he talked about this time where, where sin wasn't as well known as it was after the law was given. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, sin reigned, but people didn't know they sinned. They weren't aware of their sins. And then God brings the law and then they go, oh, wow, I can see all the bad things that I did before because now I have something to measure it against. I have a, I have a, I have a mirror that looks at it. And the, really the law in many ways is a picture. It's the ability for you to see yourself, to see yourself in who you are. This week I had some facial surgery. I don't know if you can notice that there's a scar on the top of my head here. There's still stitches there. There was a tiny speck right above my eyebrow that they discovered was a, um, was a form of skin cancer. And um, so a few weeks ago, they made the appointment. I went to the doctor this week to their surgeon and they, you know, they kind of put some stuff in there and numbed it all up. And then he took his little scalpel and he started to dig in there and started to dig out the, uh, the, the cancer. And um, where it was done, he went maybe go sit in the, in, the, in the waiting room and then they analyzed what they took out and they discovered they needed to take out more. So they went back in a second time and cut it and by the time they were done, they had a hole that was like this big. I was gonna show you a picture of it, but I decided that you'd be grossed out by it. But as he was, he was working on my face, I had no idea what he was doing. I was, it was so numb, I couldn't even feel it. I didn't even know that they were doing anything. I felt a little pressure and that was all. But I had no idea how deep he was digging or how wide he was digging. And so after the second time and after they analyzed the, the piece that he had cut out of me, he says, oh, I got it all the second time. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stitch it back up. He said, would you like to see the hole? I said, yes. So he handed me a mirror. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh. it like took my breath away when I looked at it. I was like, whoa, the law of God is like a mirror for you. It is like the ability for you to see the real you. The law actually reveals what is already present in your life. I had skin cancer that was, it looked like a dot. It turned out to be a, almost an inch in diameter around my forehead that was deeper than anything I could have imagined. And it was only because I had a mirror that could look that I could see the impact of what this cancer was doing in my head. And so what I'm telling you is that, that God brought the law to us. He did it for the purpose to reveal to you, to help you to see who you really are. But this caused Paul to say, you know, is, is, this, is this law sin? 
And so he goes on to say this. He says, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Now, the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment is, do not covet. Okay? There are Ten Commandments. The last commandment is the commandment, do not covet. And it says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. What does it mean to covet? And by the way, why does Paul pick out this commandment, the last one? Because I think Paul, in many respects, when he looked at his own life, he says, remember, he called himself in the book of Philippians, he says, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I am a, I am a religious zealot. I, am, I have tried my best to keep all of the commandments. In other words, when he looked at himself, he said, I didn't commit murder. I didn't lie. I kept God first. I did all of these things. But when he got to the very bottom of the commandments, I think he looked at this and said, you know what? Coveting is something that I probably did because I was coveting things in my heart that nobody ever knew. Because coveting is one of those sins that is not really clear to other people in your life, but it's totally clear to you when you look at yourself in the mirror. You know when you're coveting. What does it mean to covet? Coveting is, means you are dissatisfied with what you have, you are envious of what other people have or wish you had. It is the sin of the heart. It's the sin of the heart. You could look at somebody else's spouse and go, man, I wish she was my spouse. You're sinning. You could look at somebody else's house or car and you could begin to covet. You could begin to desire. I want what they want. And you could act like, oh, it's no big deal that you have something I want. It doesn't bother me at all. But you could go home and you could have resentment in your heart towards somebody else who has something you want. Coveting is a, is a sin of the heart. It's one of those things that is, it shows us the, 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 the insidiousness, the hiddenness of, of, of the hide that lives within us. And so Paul begins to describe that for us here in the book of Romans chapter 7. He says, coveting. He says, the, by sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. So the commandment, do not covet, is the commandment. And when you are confronted with this commandment, it, it gives you an opportunity to see the sin that is already in your heart. I remember when I first got saved. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know anything about what, what was right behavior or wrong behavior. I, I did no idea what God's laws were. I had zero. I mean, I was as pagan as pagans can be, okay? All I knew was my own laws and my own ways of looking at it. And I remember after I got saved and I became a Christian, I started to go to youth group. And as I was going to youth group, I began to use words that I, was, that I was used to using prior to getting saved. Words like F and B and S. You know what I'm talking about? Cuss words. They were part of my vocabulary. They were normal parts of my vocabulary. I heard my parents use them. I heard my teachers use them. I heard my coaches use them. All my friends use them. So I thought that was just normal behavior. It was okay and it was acceptable. And I used it in the middle of church. 
Can you imagine? You can't imagine. But can you imagine? And I remember using those words and my youth pastor, who was a volunteer youth pastor, comes up beside me and puts his arm around me and he says this to me. Hey, Kevin, we don't use words like that around here. I was like, what word are you talking about? And he had to tell me what the words were. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, no. I have said things that offended people, and I have said things that offended God. I even used the name of the Lord in vain. And by the way, even people today take the name of God in vain all the time and not even realize that they're doing it. I remember hearing somebody use the name of Jesus over and over again, and I remember going up to him. I was like, you know him like I know him, don't you? And they looked at me like I had ten heads. What are you talking about? Well, you keep using the name Jesus. You must know him. What? The law, understanding the law, helps us to understand the sin. And this is what Paul is driving at here. He's trying to help us understand that there's a problem. He says, for apart from the law, the sin is dead. Now, sin is alive, but sin is dead in you because you're not aware that you're sinning. It's not, it's not really revealing really the separation between you and God. He says, for once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. And this is what happens to new believers when you receive Jesus Christ and now you have this newfound spirit in you, you have new life, you've been justified, you've been made right with God, and you begin walking with the Lord day by day, all of a sudden you become more aware because now your spirit is open, now your understanding is open, now you are hearing the word of God, now you're reading the word of God, now you're hanging around other believers, and you become much more aware of your own wickedness that's within you. And you begin to say, well, maybe that accepting Jesus thing that I did when I was a young believer really didn't have an effect. Maybe I got to go get saved all over again. That's not really the issue. The issue is that God wants to do a deeper work within you than just saving you from sins. He doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to transform you. And so as you begin to walk with the Lord, you become aware you become you become clearly affected by this by the understanding and by the way then you take the 10 commandments and you put the sermon in the mount on top of it where Jesus says you know if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out and i remember reading that for the first time when i was a christian i was like wow everybody should have no eyes you walk one mile, walk two miles. Love your, don't even, don't just love your friends, love your enemies. I mean, the law of God that Paul, Paul, that Jesus brought with from the law, he says, you know what? It's not just external, it's internal. Get rid of the jealousy, get rid of the envy, get rid of the, get rid of the malice in your heart, get rid of the, the anger and the, and the hatred in your heart. God wants to do all those things in you. 
And as you walk with the Lord, you begin to discover, oh Lord, it's not just forgiving me for all the things that I've done back there. It's transforming all the stuff that's in here. That's what God wants to do. So the law brings death, not life. And then he goes on to say, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. Why is it afforded by the commandment? Because the commandment is made known to us. Because now as we're walking in Christ, we discover that God wants to do more. What did the sin do? It deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death so the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. In other words, the law of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai was a good law. It was a righteous law. It was a holy law. It was not meant to do harm to you. It was actually meant to be a diagnostic tool that revealed to you your need to put your faith in Christ and in God. Amen? So, let's say, for example, you're sick. You're sick. You've got a fever. And the doctor says to you, well, the law is you shouldn't have a fever. Don't have a fever. Does that do any good to you? Does that help you? Don't have a fever. And by the way, don't have chills. And by the way, I know you feel sick right now, but get up and walk like you're strong and go to work like everybody else. You would look at that doctor and say what? You're nuts. I'm getting a new doctor. This is not working. He would tell you the law, but he would give you no prescription to keep the law. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to describe. The Jewish people up to this time, and Paul was one of them. He was a Jew of Jews. And the nation of Israel thought that they were holy and right with God because God had given them the law and had made a covenant with them. But they violated the laws of God and they violated God's ways and they were as far from God as the Gentiles were. And that's why in Romans chapter 3, Paul says... All of us have sinned. No one is righteous. He makes that clear to us in the very beginning of Romans. For sin seizing the opportunity for it deceived me. But the law itself is good, holy, and right. The law is not bad. But what the law reveals is that there's something in you. And here's what he says. Notice what he says. Did that which is good, did the law, that's the that, did the law which is good, he also said in the verse before, it is holy, it is righteous, did that which is good then become death to me? Did the law itself become death? He says, by no means, but in order that the sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now catch this for a moment. Sin might be utterly sinful. We have the tendency as human beings to minimize our sins. To rationalize them. 
to begin to come up with a scenario because we compare ourselves to other human beings and we say, well, I'm not as bad as that, so I'm pretty good. And when we measure ourselves against other human beings or against our own set of laws or our own grading on a curve, we can minimize our sins and never come to grips with what it really means. But Paul says that when we measure it against the law of God, it helps us to realize that our sin is not minimized, but it actually becomes something that becomes utterly sinful to us. We actually should come to the place where, where, where this is what happens. We're sick of sin. We're sick of, we're sick of this this nature that is continuously finding itself creeping out into our attitudes, our behaviors, our, our, our passions, our, our appetites, our desires. We should, we should get to the place where we say, God, I am utterly sinful. Now we know at the end of chapter 7, here's what Paul says. I'll give you the end of the book. What a wretched man am I. That's what Paul says. What a wretched man am I. It was not until two years after I'd come to Christ that I realized that there was something that God wanted to do in my life that I did not understand when I got saved. When I got saved, it was all about just all the bad things that I had done and I just wanted to go to heaven. But then as I walked with God and the longer I walked with God, the deeper I walked with God, the more I realized, Oh, Lord, there's a problem here, and the problem is me. This is the problem. There's something within me that is causing me to do things I don't want to do. And that's what Paul goes on to describe for us. Because he goes on to say the battle between our dueling natures. Notice he becomes very autobiographical here. He uses the word I. Okay? Paul is talking about himself, but he's also talking about you and me. The I is not only the I as if Paul's writing it, it's also the I of every man, every woman. It's all of us. You can put your own scenario in there. Because he describes this, this dueling nature, this nature of doing right and wrong, good and evil that's going on, this constant wrestling that's happening in his life. Notice what he says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, as if it is no longer I myself who do it, but is the sin living in me. I agree with the law, the law is good. Do not lie, do not cheat, do not steal, do not covet. All the different laws, you know, that God had given to us. I look at those laws and I say they're all good. I want to do those laws. I want to fulfill those laws. I know that those things are good for me. But I can't do it. I can't do it. So what is it? It's the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Now stop there for a moment. 
The word for sinful nature is sarx in the Greek, S-A-Y-R-X. It's a Greek word. That Greek word is literally translated flesh. Okay? So the Greek word for the, in English would be flesh. Flesh gives us the impression as English that everything about our human flesh is, is nothing good. In other words, it's all evil and it's all bad. That is not a proper picture of your flesh. You are still created by God even though you're a sinner. You are still created originally in the image of God. And the fall of man, the fall of sinful human beings, does not totally take away all of the good that God did in creation. It does separate you, but you do have the capacity by his grace to know him. Okay? So it is the sinful nature that is left over. In other words, you have this battle that's going on. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Here's a mouthful. Here's a mouthful. Basically, here's what Paul says. The battle is between the I will and the I achieve. In the desire and the execution. And those two things are finding themselves in a battle. I remember so clearly, especially on my early days of walking with Christ, I was like, God, I just love you with all my heart. And I'd go to church and I'd be like, yeah, wonderful. And then I'd get like Tuesday or Wednesday in the middle of the week and going to high school and dealing with all my friends and dealing with all the stuff that I used to, and I'd be like in a battle trying to keep my Christianity. And I'd be like, man, I just want to, I want to look at girls like I used to look at them. I want to I wanna partake of porn. I want to do a little bit of drugs over here. I want to cuss over here. I want to do all this stuff. I, I, I also, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do this at the same time. And I found myself constantly going back and forth. And by the time I got to Sunday, I thought I'd lost my salvation altogether. Wasn't true. But the devil would come along and say, you're not a believer. Why are you trying to play this game? This is not who you are. That was the slumlord. Remember last week's message? That was the slumlord coming to me to tell me, go back to the old life. And But I found this battle that was happening within me. The I was, had lost control of the moral direction and another power had taken over. So I knew that even though I was new in Christ, I still had this nature, this dual nature going on between this newness in Christ and this old sinful nature. I didn't want to please that sinful nature anymore, but I didn't have any power not to please it. At least I didn't think so. The Spirit of God was there, yet I didn't understand it or know it didn't surrender to it like I should. 
I said to this earlier, the word translated as sinful nature in our verse is actually the Greek word for flesh. The body is not evil in itself, but the flesh is weak without the Holy Spirit to empower the actions we take with our bodies. We repeatedly find ourselves doing wrong. We cannot do good things by trying harder. See, the old way was, if you want to live for God, just do it yourself. Keep the law. Discipline yourself. You know, get more. Get, get, get more. It's got to be all about you. And what did we discover by doing that? We failed. And we failed. And we failed. And so that sinful nature cannot be, it cannot be dominated. It cannot be extracted. It cannot be cleansed. It cannot be, you cannot be set free from it by anything you can do. It can only be found to be changed through one way. And that is what Paul says to us. So he summarizes what he just says here. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So what, here's what we find. New believers, people who, have, who, have, who are walking with Christ, who've been saved, who have, the, who have the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit, but not fully controlled by the Holy Spirit, Yet they, are, they have this newfound desires of Christ. They've been forgiven of God. They've been set free from the power of sin, but they don't know how to live that out. They find this battle that's waging on them, and they find themselves giving more into the old way than living in the new way. They find themselves being captive by the old way. This is the dilemma of the dueling natures that Paul describes for us here. So at the very end of this, so what are we to do with the Jekyll and Hyde? What do we do with this? Paul says it clearly. He says, what a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of sin? From this body of death? Who will rescue me from this dilemma that I find myself in? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't just forgive you of your past sins. It actually breaks the power of the sinful nature in your life so that you can overcome sin. And you actually, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, which he's going to talk about in chapter 8, clearly he's going into chapter 8 and he's going to talk about all this new life, this sanctification, this cleansing, this power that's available to the new believer who is struggling with this newfound faith that is constantly warring back and forth. He's saying, he's saying to them, there's a new way. And that new way, I'll just give you the tidbit, gives you the power to obey the law. Gives you the power to actually live out the law of God in your life. It doesn't do away with it. It empowers you, fulfills you to carry it out. Now, I want to go back to the first portion of chapter 7 that we just read. Because in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, 
he actually gives us a picture of this new life that we have through the Spirit. So let's go back and just walk through this. Because he says, I want you to discover a new way to live with power. It's like Paul, by the way, if you read it, do me a favor. Go home and read chapter 7, but read it this way. Read chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and then skip to chapter 8, verse 1. Because Paul actually goes from verse number 6 in chapter 7 to chapter 8, verse 1. And in the middle of it, he has this, this, long, this long piece about this, this kind of battle that's going on between them. Because in verse number 1 through 6, he says, we. In verse number 7 through 25, he says, I. And then in verse in the chapter 8, verse 1, he says, we again. So it's like Paul is writing, and then he says, oh, let me, let me stop there and explain a little bit about what's going on. And then he jumps to chapter 8. So this is actually chapter, is, is a reflection of what Paul just talked about. Here's what he says. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to the men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man as, uh, only as long as he lives? And I'm not going to read this next section to you. I already read it to you out loud. But he talks about this whole illustration. Imagine if Jane is standing right up here. I was going to make Jane come stand up here, but she would hate me if I did that. So imagine Jane is right here with me. And we are, she is married to me. And I am married to her. And she is obligated by the law to keep me until I die. But there is Prince Charming over there. He is perfect husband. I am the imperfect husband. Okay, this is illustration purposes only. Okay. I'm actually more perfect than she knows. <laughs> Until the law shows up and shows me who I really am. <laughs> I die. Now she has the freedom by the law to go and marry her Prince Charming. Do you remember in chapter 5 he talked about the first Adam and the second Adam? The first Adam, we are all subject to guilt and shame and condemnation. We are sinners because we are represented by Adam. Christ comes as the second Adam. He brings grace. When we put our faith in Christ, we are dying to the first Adam, and we are being risen again by the second Adam. And so Paul has kind of taken that little bit of a, a connection between the first Adam and the second Adam, and now he's merging it into this whole idea as an illustration about how you are subject to the first marriage, and you cannot break away from nothing until that person dies. But if I die, she can go marry anybody she wants to marry. Paul is taking that illustration and he's applying it now to the illustration of this new life we have in Christ. Notice what he says. I'm going to read it again just so you can catch it. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. The law which brought death, you died to it, that you might belong to another, to another, to whom was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. We might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, that's that socks again, that flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in your body so that we bore fruit of death. 
So when you are focused on trying to obey the law yourself, trying to be a Christian in your own power, trying to walk with God by your own strength, trying to do it with your own power and strength, you are still subject to the law and it doesn't bring life, it brings death. That's why Paul goes on that tangent there. He says, but now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law, released from this law that actually reveals sins and leads you into more sin so that we might serve the new way of the Spirit. By the way, catch this. This is the first time that Paul introduces the Holy Spirit in Romans. The very first time he introduces the Spirit and he realizes that what Christ did for you is incomplete without the filling of the Holy Spirit to make it complete. So that not in the old way of the written code. Amen. So today, as we conclude this service, worship team, come, would you? Here's my prayer. Here's my ask. Have you died with Christ? Are you living this new life under the power of the Holy Spirit? Maybe today you find yourself in this battle. Maybe you find yourself constantly giving in to sin, constantly giving in to things you don't really want to. And you realize today that you cannot continue to go down the road of trying to do it yourself. You've got to say, Lord, I want to die to myself and I want to die with Christ and I want to put my faith and I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. That I could live out the life you so desire for me to live. And as you do that, the power of God comes on you. Not only to forgive you, but to set you free. To set you free. Next week I'll tell you my story of when I finally gave up control. Finally said, okay God, I want all of you. And God filled me with the Spirit of God with such power and such incredible force that I walked in newness of being like I'd never experienced in all of my Christian life. I was actually sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. And God put me on a whole new tra trajectory of walking with Him. That can be for you too, but it starts by prayer and submission to God. Amen. So as we sing, I surrender all, maybe today's a day where you could just slip up to the altar and kneel and say, God, I surrender all. Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, for Lord, for helping us to understand that there is a dual nature that can be set free because of Jesus. So Lord, do that work in us, I pray. Set us free from the power of sin, that we could live a life pleasing to you and have victory and wholeness and power in our life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.